Well, it is exciting to be launching into our new series in Ruth. Yes, Ruth, even though you might be wondering why we're reading Judges. Uh, that'll make sense in a moment. But I know many of you are excited for this new series just based on the artwork, right? It, it is beautiful. I mean, some people have suggested that we make some merch out of it. You know, get some caps and some tees and some hoodies. Uh, so look out for that. I reckon it's a pretty good idea. But I think it's fitting that we have such beautiful artwork because the story of Ruth is such a beautiful one. In fact, you might even describe it as a love story. Uh, it's only four chapters, so if you haven't taken the kind of 20 minutes to sit down and read it in one hit, do that. And as you do that, which I know a bunch of you have, it, it raises a bunch of questions. One of them is, what's this book doing in the Bible? Why is it here? Well, if your view of the Bible is that it's just kind of cold spiritual truths dropped from heaven, kind of from God, here it is. Wow, you need to read Ruth because God owns all the beauty. You need to read some Psalms, read the Song of Songs. Anything that is good and beautiful comes from our Creator God. But it is more than just a feel-good story for us to enjoy. It is a word about God to lead us to deeper worship, to actually deepen our faith in Him, to stir our affections for Him and to lift our gaze to the goodness and the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over the coming weeks as we work through the book, we'll see that the teaching about God is a lot more subtle than we're used to in other books. But it's there, and I trust that you'll see it'll do those things for us. Now, my job tonight is to set the scene for the book of Ruth. Because it's not just a beautiful love story that's been randomly dropped into the Bible. It's one that is set in history. And most importantly, in the movement of God to bring salvation, great blessing to his world. Because the very beautiful, lovely story of Ruth is actually set against a very dark backdrop. The backdrop of Judges. See, you would have noticed as you start Ruth, it begins with these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, the famine's no good, of course, but the much darker backdrop there is the reference to the days when the judges ruled. This actually locates the book of Ruth in history. And I've got a brief timeline for you to capture some of the key points. Um, further back in history is a man, Abraham, a man that God had promised to bring great blessing to a broken world through, to give him land, offspring, blessing. And from Abraham descends the nation of Israel, uh, a great nation. It grows, but the problem is they're under slavery down in Egypt, under Pharaoh. They cry out to God. God comes and graciously brings liberation to them through Moses. Moses brings them out of Egypt, and they're on the verge to head into the promised land, a land which is flowing with milk and honey. But about five minutes after being saved by God, the Israelites turn their back on him, uh, prostitute themselves 
to other gods. And so God brings judgment on that generation so that they wander around the wilderness for 40 years. It's then a man named Joshua of the next generation who will bring the people into the land. And it's into this period, it's about two, three hundred years, that we find the rule of the judges. And it's somewhere in here that Ruth is set. Now, to help us better appreciate that setting, we're going to take a fly over the book of Judges tonight. I'll make some connections to Ruth as we go, but also to ourselves. So turn back to Judges in your Bible, uh, chapter 1. Let me take us through it under four points. Number one, under cycle and spiral. Cycle and spiral. Now, speaking of great artwork uh, that goes along with our teaching series, we've got some really gifted people who serve us in all sorts of ways here. Let me show you the artwork that we came up with in 2013 when we last plotted our way through the book of Judges. It looks like this, and it quite helpfully, if we can bring that up, quite helpfully shows the picture, the story of Israel at the time who cycle through the pattern of sin, judgment, repentance, salvation. But more than just cycle, they spiral into this deep, dark hole. So that the book of Judges actually ends without repentance and without salvation. So let me give you a sense of it. Chapter 1, it starts to detail the land that the people of Israel take in Canaan, in Palestine, as God had commanded them. But even in chapter 1, we see that something's wrong because they don't take all the land. They don't drive out all the nations as they had been commanded. So, chapter 2, verse 1, read with me. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I've also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. Now, among the nations that haven't been driven out that now surround Israel is the nation of Moab. Now, this becomes particularly significant in the book of Ruth. Just flick over to chapter 3, verse 12 there. Moab inflict massive pain on Israel. We read there, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Notice who gives the power there, the Lord. This is actually fascinating when we come to Ruth because we see that Ruth is the great hope for Israel and she's a Moabitess. Wow. God will use even the nation that is against Israel for the good of Israel. Come back to chapter 2, verse 10. After that, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. 
Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Can I just say, may this not be us, EV9. May we not be a one-generation ministry. And by God's grace, many of you are actually a testimony to a second generation. We're only 20-odd years young as a church plant. So praise God for evidence of that. And praise God that many of you are giving yourselves to see the next generation. But just note how quickly a generation can turn away from God. May that not be us. Might the next and the one after that and the one after that serve him in this place. Now chapter 2 actually functions as a summary of the whole book of Judges, which is handy for us in what we're doing tonight. We, we see in verse 16 that as the people are in misery, the Lord graciously raises up judges to bring relief to the people. Now the judges here aren't the courtroom kind of judge that we think of. But rather, they're more like temporary tribal leaders. We'll come back to them in a moment. So the Lord will raise up a judge, will bring relief to the people through them. But, verse 19, when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. There's a summary of the book. Then in chapters 3 through to 16, it takes us through this cycle under the 12 judges. You've probably heard their names before if you've been in a Sunday school or something like that, EV Kids, you've got uh, Ehud, you've got Deborah, you've got Gideon, you've got Samson. They make for great kind of kids' stories when a lot of the details are left out. But we'll come back to these group of judges later. They're actually quite a surprising and unimpressive mob. Then in chapters 17 through to 21, the end of the book, it takes us into the spiral that the nation goes into spiritually and morally, they disintegrate. Where we read accounts of idolatry, theft, abduction, rape, sodomy, murder, prostitution, child sacrifice, civil war, and this is God's people, no less. It's horrific. Now tonight, I'll save us from looking at the details, they're very confronting. In fact, I found myself this week exhausted just working through the book of Judges. And I think that's the point of the book. You're supposed to get to the end and just go, oh, are you serious? Now, let's not miss a massively important and timeless truth that is taught here, even though I won't take you to the details in the text. It's this. Humanity is lost on its own. Humanity is lost on its own. Humanity has no hope within itself. And I realise I've just said one of the most offensive things that can be said 
in our day. I've been reading a bunch of stuff on Ruth as well this week and I read one commentator who was trying to make sense of how Judges finishes and Ruth begins. They're, they're side by side because you get this dark, you know, depraved picture of Israel in Judges. But this commentator is trying to make sense of some more sparkling figures in Ruth, particularly Boaz, where it seems he can do no evil. And so, so what's going on there? Well, this commentator concludes this. The Israelites transform themselves to be a society that learns to look beyond surface appearances and to recognise virtue from within. What was the answer to the transformation according to this woman? The Israelites themselves turning over a new leaf. No, 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 no. That is not what is happening. In fact, it's not even a good reading of Ruth. As we go through it, you'll see that Boaz is needing to protect Ruth from horrific behaviour in the community. That diagnosis is classic of our constant desire to dethrone God to bump him off the throne, to sit ourselves there, humanity at the centre of the universe. In fact, our modern diagnosis of Israel's problem back in the time of the judges would likely be intolerance, bigotry. If only they could have kind of got to know the nations in which they lived and been more accepting and tolerant, then they would have known a much more peaceful and beautiful world. The irony there is, that's exactly what they did. They embraced the nations and spiralled into decay. Now, just a quick note, we're not going to deal with this in detail now, but it's important to note that the people of God in the book of Judges are living in a very different period to the people of God now, Christians. That is, the people of Israel in the time of Judges were commanded by God to drive the people out of the land. That is not the command for Christians. Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. Very different. The thing, though, is the hope of Christianity is not self-affirmation. If you're looking for a religion that embraces you for who you are, just you be you and you're beautiful, Christianity is not the place to turn to, at least not biblical Christianity. Here's the thing that Christianity offers, not self-affirmation, but God-affirmation. And God doesn't just accept you for who you are so much better than that. He accepts you in spite of who you are through his son Jesus. If you're looking for a religion that just embraces you for who you are, Christianity is not that. Judges is a confronting account about the stubborn, perpetual nature of human sin. So that no matter our time in history, no matter our technological, scientific, medical, political, whatever progression, this problem in humanity remains. Yes, 
Humans are able to do great good. We're made in the image of God. We've looked at that over the last couple of weeks. But also bound up in the human nature is a willingness and a desire to do evil, to create evil. Judges is an example of humanity in its sin. There's the first point. The cycle and spiral of sin that points us to a hope not within, but without. And we'll come to that. Second point that Judges teaches us is the importance of good leadership. The importance of good leadership. There's a refrain that echoes through chapters 17 to 21. And it goes like this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In fact, they are the very last words of the book. It's how it finishes. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, if humanity were basically good and everyone did as they saw fit, then you would see a beautiful society, a kind society, an accepting thing is humanity is not basically good and so you see the horror the carnage the abuse that we read in the pages of judges one of the lessons here is this is a nation without leadership and it teaches us that without leadership families communities societies are at best unstable but at worst descend into chaos have you seen the horrible pictures coming out of South Africa at the moment with the president being put in prison and the the protests the riots the looting it's horrific it's an example of not just an unstable but a chaotic place without leadership now the instability without a king in the time of the judges plays out in a number of ways one of them is that the vulnerable become more vulnerable the vulnerable become even more vulnerable why well because there's no order and rule brought to bear for their protection because humanity is not basically good now what do i raise this well i raise this to prepare us for an issue that we're going to come across in Ruth that will maybe get our attention or maybe more even bristle with us. It's the issue of Naomi and Ruth needing a man for their welfare, their very survival depending on a man. Now, this may likely be offensive to some of our ears, our modern ears who have grown up on a diet of Disney, right? If you've been watching Disney the last 10, 20 years, we've been growing up on movies which has the little girl who will grow to be the woman who will defeat the evil powers. And here we come across women who need a man. What's with that? Well, we'll come to the issue in the text in the coming weeks, okay? But for now, just note, even though God had provided laws to protect the vulnerable in the law of Moses, 
before the days of the judges, before the days of Ruth. Even though God had provided for these vulnerable, without good leadership to see that it's applied within a community, it becomes neglected, the powerful become more powerful and the weak get squashed. The vulnerable become more vulnerable. See, much of the opportunities and securities that we take for granted in our culture trade on a long heritage of leadership that's been concerned for the vulnerable. That has been aware that sinful human nature won't just drift together as a community towards doing good for the vulnerable. I mean, panic buying. Have you seen that? Have you been frustrated by that? Have you been affected by that? You know, I saw the, the dunny roll aisle in Coles, particularly when lockdown first hit, it's bare. The infuriating thing about that for me is there are people in our community who are living day to day, week to week, who don't have enough money to be able to go and stockpile things. And so who are the ones who are affected there? The most vulnerable. Well, thankfully... Someone in leadership in Coles has come up with something so that when you buy a roll of toilet paper, you can't buy more than one pack. That's only happened because someone has taken action so that the vulnerable might be cared for. Judges teaches us the importance of good leadership, something that we'll see play out in the book of Ruth. Here's the third thing. It's testing trials. Testing trials. See, there's a number of ways you could describe the Bible. What is the Bible? Well, one way you could describe it is it's an invitation to know God's blessing. To know his favour and his kindness, his love, his protection and provision amongst more. But the thing is, often this blessing is experienced through trials. For the Israelites in the days of the judges, them entering into the promised land of Canaan was supposed to be the context in which they would enjoy God's blessing, being in God's land, his people under his good rule. But because of their disobedience toward God, they instead knew the trial of surrounding nations intent to destroy them, intent to drag them away from their God. So why are the people of Israel in this trial? Because of their doing, because of their disobedience. But we also see that there's another reason they're experiencing this trial, and it's because of God's design and purpose why is it happening? Because of their sin. Why is it happening? Because God has a purpose, a good purpose for the trial. He is testing the seriousness of Israel's faith. Have a look at verse 21 of chapter 2. The Lord says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. Chapter 3 then goes on to list some of those nations that are left 
as, as a trial, as a barb, as a hardship, but as a test for Israel. So that, verse 4, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. There's again an important and timeless lesson for us here. And that is, when a trial comes along in your life, do not waste the opportunity that it is to pay particular attention to your spiritual health. When a trial comes along in your life, and they will, some greater than others, but you can be sure that they will, do not miss the opportunity that it provides for you to pay attention to your spiritual health, which is to pay attention to your God. Yes, God tests his people. Now, some of you are experiencing right now some very pressing and particular trials. And we as a church, we, we want to be aware of where you're at and what you're going through so that we can pray for you, so that we can support you as best we can. Let me touch on a trial that most of us are experiencing right now, the trial of lockdown. Of course, all of us on the coast are experiencing lockdown. It's just not as much of a trial for some as it is for others, right? See, if some of you are honest, you're actually stoked to be watching church in your PJs on the couch right now, yeah? You are enjoying the excuse to not have to see people and be with people. You're just bunkered down in your own space. You know, you're loving the exercise thing, so as long as we're still able to get out, as long as Netflix keeps streaming, as long as gamers keep gaming, as long as there's sport on somewhere in the world, you're actually loving lockdown. But others of you aren't laughing. You really are feeling the sting of isolation, of loneliness, of mental health flare-ups, of disappointment, you know, missed trips, missed family gatherings and reunions. Some of you have lost work, particularly over the last few days maybe, losing shifts. There is now going to be more money going out than coming in. Lockdown is very much a trial for all of us. Here's the thing, though. With spiritual eyes, see it for the test that it is. God is using it to test us, to test the sincerity of our faith. You think, really, would, would God do that? Would God test me? Well, yes, when we come to the New Testament, we find the testing language used multiple times. In fact, Jesus uses it. Do you remember the parable that he tells the farmer who is sowing seed amongst soil and rocks and all these different places? Do you remember the seed that lands on the rocky ground? It grows up quickly, but because it has no root, it falls away. Jesus actually says uh, it grows up quickly but falls away during a time of testing. 
Chase them up later if you want. James chapter 1 verse 30. Romans 16 verse 10. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Multiple New Testament examples of God testing his people. Testing the seriousness, the legitness of the faith that they profess to have in him. The language in the New Testament also kind of shifts from testing to discipline to get at the same kind of idea. In fact, if you've got a Bible and you can flick quickly, come to Hebrews chapter 12. Otherwise, it'll come up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, which is a letter written to Christians, to people this side of Jesus, the side that we are. We read there verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship. Notice he doesn't say what kind of hardship, whether it's your making or not. But whatever trial that you experience, endure it as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And you're like, amen, if you're in a trial. Yes, it hurts. Later on, however, catch that. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Again, if you want to come to Christianity for instant gratification, you've come to the wrong place. Later on, on the other side of the trial, ultimately on the other side of the trial of death, coming into the presence of God through Jesus, we will know a harvest of righteousness and peace. Notice who it's for? For those who have been trained by it. Those who have spiritual eyes to go, oh, this hurts. Oh, my God is in control. This may or may not be my doing, but oh, let me see this as a hardship to endure as a test of my sincerity. Trusting that there's going to be a harvest of righteousness and peace on the other side. How might knowing this or being reminded of this change your attitude and your ac actions during lockdown? As I've reflected on this this week, I've been helped to let it serve as a mirror for my faithfulness. Now, lockdown's not pretty for me either. I've got a bunch of stuff I won't bore you with that's, that's, that's tricky. But it's made me go, hang on. It's one thing for me to profess my love and commitment and service to the Lord when the sun is shining. It's another thing when the clouds have come over. Will I still say the Lord blesses 
He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Will I continue to keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as my Christian ancestors have through trials? What responsibility am I, will you take for your spiritual health right now without the usual rhythms of church and community? Will you let this trial force you to the word, put you on your knees in prayer, connect with people about the things of Jesus? Let your trials drive you to God, not from God. Now, the other thing that Judges teaches us about trials is what are you going to be like on the other side of a trial? See, when the Lord rescues and brings relief to the Israelites through a judge, you know, they've cried out. What do they do on the other side of that? They run even harder and faster away from God. Can you relate to that? Uh, A trial strikes, it drives you to your knees in prayer to the word, please God help, 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 get me out of this. It it puts you actually in a very good spiritual spot, dependent on him. And he answers that prayer and now I'm just chasing after the good experiences in life again. Oh Father, I've blown it again, please may she not be pregnant, please may she not, I won't Lord, please. She's not. I'm back into the cycle of sleeping with her again. Oh, Lord, please, 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 no. Will comfort that the Lord brings you into on the other side of a trial, will it lead to a greater care in your spiritual health or greater complacency? Because the judges, the people of Israel, are a warning for us that they quickly, as things get better, turn away from God. What if it is God's good design to actually keep us in trial, to keep us humble, keep us dependent? A big lesson in Judges is that we let trials serve to test us, not trap us. Here's the fourth and final point as we fly over the book of Judges. And that is our need for the King. Our need for for the king. See, the judges that are raised up, there's 12 of them, are actually quite an unlikely and very imperfect bunch. Um, let, let me summarize some of them for you like this. We see that there's a reluctant farmer, a prophetess, a left-handed assassin, a bastard bandit, a sex-addicted Nazarite, among others. I mean, you read these guys, you're like, are you serious? <laughs> this is the hope of Israel well no they're not but God is and he works through them now what's in it for us well I guess we can take constant encouragement that God uses imperfect ordinary sinners to achieve his good purposes and so the judges as messed up as some of them are they are faithful in some sense they do have their trust in Yahweh so we can take comfort in that But the bigger point for us is that judges, the judges, are proof that we need someone greater. Because the judges were just regional and temporary help. See, regional. Um, It's not as if the judge was over the whole nation of Israel. They're actually just 
in their tribe, in their region, there's evidence actually that you've got multiple judges operating at the same time around the land. And so none of these judges actually bring the nation together as one. They're a little bit like the Australian state premiers, right? <laughs> Definitely not bringing the Australian people together as one. In fact, who'd even heard of these state premiers before COVID, right? I can hear Ben Sheath going, oh, I did. Apart from Ben, who, who paid attention to state politics until COVID did? It's, it's regional. But here's the second problem with the judges. It was temporary. So yes, the Lord would use them, bring relief. But once the judge died, oh, it would spiral back into slop. The book of Judges finishes with the words, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And it does this to leave us waiting for a king. For a king who will actually bring God's people together as one. A king who will be able to rule beyond his own moment. This is a key reason why Ruth is in the Bible. We're going to see. Because through her will come King David, the first good king over Israel who will combine the nation for a moment before it unravels again. But of course from King David will come King Jesus. Not just a king, but the king. The king of kings the eternal son of god who stepped off his throne into the mess of humanity as one of us and yet unlike the rest of us he contributed nothing to the mess he walked faithfully in thought in word in attitude and action he honored his father the eternal son of God who as a man will go to his death to swallow up God's right judgment for human sin against him. So that the person who would look to him, trust him, join themselves to him by faith might be spared that death. And more, that he might conquer the greatest trial of all, death. Which is why we had Matthew 28 read. Because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And so he can say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Not just of tribes and of tongues, of, of everyone. And teach them to obey everything that I've commanded and Surely I am with you to the end of the age. There's the king that judges screams out for. There is the hope outside of ourselves, in a man, yes, but the eternal God who became man. Judges, Ruth, sets us up as the whole Old Testament does to see our need for Jesus and the amazing love of God to send him for us. Friends, hear those words. Jesus is with you to the very end of the age. Whatever trial you are in, he is with you by his spirit. Christian, we have everything we need to face whatever situation we find ourselves in. Jesus 
is alive. Judges confronts us with the cycle and spiral of human sin, our desperate need for rescue outside of ourselves. Jesus is the answer. It shows us the need for good leadership, for the protection particularly of the vulnerable. Jesus is the answer. Judges calls us to embrace trials as the testing of our faith with the promise of a harvest of righteousness and peace. As Jesus endured and enjoys these things, so too will you in Jesus. And it points us to his good kingship, our only hope, a king who will never die again. Ruth is going to be a sweet time. Let it stir your affections for God. Let it point your gaze to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Our Father God, we, we thank you so much for this word that you have had written to capture you, the mighty God, working through history. We thank you that you've had it preserved. And we just stop to pause and marvel that we can call Father the God of the ages the uncreated, powerful God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of Moses, of Joshua, of Ruth. Wow, you are our God. Might that be a deep comfort to us wherever we find ourselves in whatever state we're in. And Father, we ask please that this time in the coming weeks in your word, you will show us your character, as we look at the characters in this story. And most of all, that you will strengthen our faith in Jesus. Uh, please, as we have opportunity, might we be able to share the King of the nations, the hope of our world. We thank you so much that he is our Lord and we pray these things in his name. Amen.